You were born with individual strengths and a unique purpose. Don't let fears, false beliefs, or life's happenings diminish your influence. It's time to live and lead for impact. Host Kirsten Ross, expert of transformation, will help you defeat the drama and overcome the trauma that can stop you in your tracks. You'll gain focus, find confidence, and take bold action. Unleash passionate, purposeful you. Let's go. Welcome to Live and Lead for Impact. I'm Kirsten Ross, your host, and this is episode 215. I know I say this all the time. I have an amazing guest today, but man, I'm so grateful for all the awesome people I get to interview for the show. And today's guest is no exception. We've just been having a quick little chat before we get started, and I can't wait to share him with you. So his name is Neil Gordon. He works with executives, influencers, and thought leaders and has helped them get six-figure book advances, be seen on shows like Ellen and Dr. Oz, and double their speaking fees. Prior to becoming a communications expert, he worked on the editorial staff of Penguin Random House, where he worked with New York Times bestselling authors. He has been featured on Forms, Fortune, Inc.com, and NBC Palm Springs, and is a VIP contributor for entrepreneurs. So welcome, Neil. Thank you very much for having me, Kirsten. Yeah, thanks so much for being here. And I know that we're going to have a fun conversation. So, you know, you have had such an interesting past, and I love that you've shifted gears and are helping uh, more entrepreneurs who are working to make their impact uh, really uh, do more. So tell me about your work and what impact are you helping to make in the world? I like to look at the bigger picture of what I do through the lens of a specific story that happened to one of my clients a handful of years ago in that she had founded a program at Children's Hospital Los Angeles. And it was a book program, like you gift books to the kids and you read to them bedside and all of that. And I volunteered for the program, but and because of that, we hooked up and I helped her professionally as well. And one day I came in for my shift and she was all flustered and struggling because she had to give a 10 minute presentation later that day to sponsors of the hospital. And usually when she gave these kinds of presentations, people just kind of zoned out and they just collect, they just politely clapped at the end. And she didn't really understand what the point of talking was under those conditions. And so I took her aside and said, would you like some help working out what to say today? And she said, yes. And then we talked about how to basically rearrange her content a bit. And she went back, and then when I saw her after she had given her presentation later that day, she said she had them wrapped at attention from the moment she started speaking. And instead of just politely clapping at the end, they rushed up to her with business cards, and one of them even invited her to apply for a grant. But the entire conversation we had that morning only lasted two minutes. Wow. And that's because communicating in a way that really engages people and really empowers them to want to go deeper is not nearly as complicated as we tend to make it. And so you make a few simple tweaks, shifts in how you go about it, all operating under the larger theme of that effective communication simply values the recipient over the sender, the audience over the speaker like that. If we make that shift, then 
we can get those kinds of results. Well, and I, you know, of course you started with an amazing story that is intriguing and has me just like fired up to get more information from you. Not an accident. So, right, uh, right. right. I love it. So um, as a person who uses stories, I feel compelled to ask. um, So I know there's the design of the story, but how do you know which story one is a question? And then the other is if you are working in a business setting, but have some really like potentially inspirational life stories. Mm-hmm. How do you utilize those for business? And how do you know? I, I'm, you know what? I'm asking multi questions. I can't help it. <laughs> but like, how do you know to be? <laughs> um, how do you guide the line of being inspirational and not feeling like you are? looking for uh, sympathy or, you know what I'm saying? Like, how do you pick the right stories and how deep do you go and those kinds of things? Well, you just said a very important thing there, Kirsten, with regards to looking for sympathy, looking for sympathy in that that is the very embodiment of a communicator who's trying to fulfill their own needs through whatever Mm. it is they're saying. Yeah. And so when we think about the stories we're going to share it's one thing to talk about some sort of story that's just kind of meant to generically be inspirational because something good happens. And it's another thing to tell a story where the good thing that happens is more immediately relevant and desired by the specific people you're talking to in that particular moment in time. Mm -hmm. Now, not every message is going to be super specific and not every message is going to be very general for all people. And so that, there's always going to be a case by case way that we look at any given situation and any given story. But a larger rule of thumb is to think about what is the actual message or moral of the story? What is the the specific impact of that particular story? And does it line up with helping to solve the kind of problems that that particular audience wants to solve? Mm-hmm. Make it about them. Hunter. Make it about them. And how far uh so i know you know life is a journey Mm -hmm. and so what are some clues that you see in someone that they're far enough away have enough emotional distance have like seen enough success after some kind of big event um what are some uh kind of uh the litmus test that you would help someone through to see if they're far enough away, have made enough progress, far enough along a journey to use it as an inspirational tool versus the woe is me kind of a thing. And so if we're breaking that down, we're looking at personal stories that somehow, if I understand correctly, that are somehow speaking to an event that dealt with some kind of adversity for the storyteller themselves, something that they struggled with. And how do we determine if we can best leverage the emotional significance of that story for the sake of helping others to to feel some sort of uplifter or inspiration from it. Do I have all of that right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And again, it is a little tricky without knowing a specific situation. But that that being said, what I would sense is that if the the lesson winds up having an intended impact for the audience that is very immediately relevant right then and there. It's not a leap. Like, let's say 
let's say somebody is a corporate executive and they just lost a loved one the day before and they have to present. I mean, obviously, this is a ridiculous situation that someone who's bereaved would go and right, right. do work. But like, let's just make an extreme example for the sake of the discussion. And the next day, for whatever reason, they have to go and present in front of the board or something like that. The sense, the rawness of it would be a lot of energy, for lack of a better word, like a lot of energy to work with in that regard. But it's still possible that that level of rawness could still be of real value and not make it a woe is me story if, let's say, the person who passed the day before had a very specific insight to share. And that insight was going to somehow help the company, which let's say the company is dealing with a lot of adversity and struggle right now. They could say, look, what they said to me, and the only reason I'm here and the only reason why I would ever think to bring such a raw thing up when I'm in the middle of grieving myself is because of something she said right before she passed. And that's something that I really want everyone here in this room to hear. And let's say it has something to do with how we're going to overcome a tremendous amount of hardship from something we didn't see coming or some, something like that, right? Mm -hmm. Because of the, how immediately relevant it is to that particular group, that board right then and there, it's not going to, I mean, they're still going to feel something for the speaker and their loss and all of that. But if anything, that's going to become a way to even more greatly enrich the significance of the story of the share. But again, it has to come down to relevance in that particular, well, I, I say have to, I like to say the only hard and fast rule communication is that there are no hard and fast rules. So I have to catch myself <laughs> sometimes. I don't like to be dogmatic about any of this, but it's most likely going to be okay if it's relevant. So the so let's give you a general, like a little aphorism here. The more raw and and emotionally significant an event is, the more relevant it must be to the audience for it to be useful. Mm, I love that tip. Yeah. Yeah, that's super helpful. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, and I might come back with and make my questions a little more specific. I'm trying not to make this about me, but I do think of like, I, I just, I feel like there's... So like so much you can do to help people with this, and I'm thinking back to the struggles I had years ago about a situation. So, I, and now that I've said that much, I'm probably likely going to absolutely have to bring it up in a minute. <laughs> It's all good. I'm, I'm, so uh, you're asking but, me questions, Kirsten, <laughs> I've never been asked before. I appreciate it very much. Um, so, but tell me, what experiences have motivated you the most to make this impact and use your gifting in this way? I love it. I like to think back to when I was in eighth grade and I was taking earth science in junior high school and my teacher droned on and on and on every day, day after day. And I was like a C plus student. And I was, usually I was like an A or A minus student. And in earth science, I was like a 78, 79 out of a hundred type of student. And then I had the opportunity to do a science fair project where I had to conduct the scientific method to investigate something. I chose whether weather predictions had become more accurate over 30 years. And I found some really good research and old copies of the New York Times. And I was able to determine that weather predictions had become 20% more accurate in the 30 years leading up to that date, which I found to be pretty significant looking back. I don't even know how I figured that out as a 14-year-old. But the point is, is that I got 100 on that science fair project. And that disparity between what I was doing day to day 
and what I did when I was engaged and motivated to do something has always stood out for me as what happens when the communicator is or is not engaging. The number of problems we could solve if the messenger simply was more adept, the, the amount of demagoguery we could avoid in our elections for public office and all of that, like the amount that people instill fear and hatred in their campaigns and how we can move away from that if the opposing side just simply knows how to truly draw people in. And there's so many other examples as well, not to mention a whole slew of client outcomes, of course, that demonstrates that how hungry people are to be communicated to in a way that really moves them forward in life. And yet we usually just settle for mediocrity and accept that as the standard and the norm. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm sure that it is so difficult for you as a communications expert <laughs> to listen to what happens in politics. The, yeah, because we don't need to communicate where we're different because there are so many ways in which we are the same. And we don't have to inspire through fear when there are so many things that we could be hopeful about and creating a wonderful vision. And again, a lot of those visions are we share. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we might have a few differences about how we get there, but um, I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, so what impact, so speaking of client impact. Um, I know mm -hmm. you shared the one experience, uh, sure. but share another because so I what I love to share an impact that really fuels you with passion is I think, you know, whenever we're trying to make our impact in the world, there's going to be bumps in the road. And mm -hmm. there's no better way to have tenacity, I think, by keeping our eye on the prize and mm -hmm. trying to continue to fuel our own passion as we help others do the same. And so what are some of the one or two of the key stories that of, of uh, impact that you've helped make with clients that really feel your passion who, you know, that, that you kind of attach back to like, Oh yeah, this is the one I remember to really keep me going. Oh, of course. And I think back to a webinar that I put together as a free webinar that I created as part of a sales funnel. This is going back to 2017. And I had a bunch of different tips, like basically insights that I, that I share with my folks. And one of them I had kind of minimized in its importance compared to some of the other things that were in the webinar. But one guy who was an established public, it was a public speaking webinar, like how to become an electrifying public speaker, essentially. And one guy who was already a very well-established public speaker making thousands per gig. And he saw the webinar and he did agree to work with me and we did do some amazing stuff and there are other stories as well, but without even having worked for me, like work with me, excuse me, he went out the next day after he saw my webinar and just tweaked something minor in his talk. And in the end, he wound up getting 11 speaking gigs from that one booking and not even referral gigs from the other gigs, but from that one thing, 11 people saw him that day and hired him and it earned him like 85, $86,000 in speaking fees. And the, the basic tip is, by the way, I'm very happy to share that here. Most people just start their talks, just launching into their message, their solution. And what I, talked about in the webinar and what he tweaked was to first address the problem that the audience cares about solving and then move into the solution from that state to get them invested because people are most likely to embrace a solution when it's provided within the context of a problem they care about solving. And so 
that was the insight that he just tweaked a few things in his existing talk and that's the result he got. That's awesome. And so is he starting with an issue they care about and then using an illustrative story to to show like the possibility, the vision of a future? What I often do is I have people start with the story of a person who's struggling with that problem, Mm -hmm. right? They're struggling with the problem that's similar to the problem that audience struggles with. And then before finishing the story, establish that problem explicitly. So you might be like this person who is struggling to solve this kind of problem. And what we usually do is do X, Y, or Z to solve this problem. But actually today, we're going to talk about what he did to overcome that and to get this amazing outcome and what you'll of course be able to do similarly to achieve it for yourself sort of like that awesome so it's funny i uh i very often use illustrative parenting stories (laughs) when i'm talking about leadership and um i have some really fun ones all the way back from when my kids were very little you know like setting clear expectations and holding people accountable and being a, a leader who will follow through that works yep. great with a story around how, and my kids are grown now, I never wanted to have to retrieve a child from a play place <laughs> at the fast food places. And I did it, but I used that strategy and it fits really well with leadership. So um, it, I love using um, stories to illustrate. And um, so I feel compelled. I, I've been, um, I unintentionally created teasers. <laughs> Sure. I didn't mean to, but so I, I I'm going to get more specific about my story and the thing that I had struggled with for years. So I, mm-hmm. I have a tendency to live my life on two tracks. I am just wired this way. I live my life and I make decisions. Um, and then, um, I, the second track is I'm kind of looking at my life and saying, how can I take what I just did and use it to teach others? How can others others learn from what I've been through? And so mm-hmm. literally everything I do is around that. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, and then it might turn into an illustrative story or again, some tips or like, here's the struggle I had and here's the, you know, what I did to overcome it, those kinds of things. So I, I preface with all of that to say that I was in an abusive marriage. Now I've been out of it for years, mm-hmm. but that is my big thing that, cause I mostly speak in, um, you know, business settings and I had this, I felt compelled right after I got out of that abusive marriage. Like I want to turn this into a way to help others, but mm-hmm. it was very quickly clear to me. I was way too close and like the story needed a few more chapters, right? It wasn't inspirational right. yet. Um, I could share some tips about how I shifted my mind to get out and all of that. So um, fast forward a few years, and then it was in the context of um, a large fundraising event for a domestic abuse shelter. And by then I was part of their speaking kind of group, whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, so then, and the the power and the validity, uh, validation. So I did get something from it, but I also know that I served others um, through sharing, sharing my story, but I needed that journey. But, um, you know, I needed to be far enough away from it. But one of the the thoughts I had along the way is, which hasn't come to fruition, because I thought I was going to be speaking on that a lot. You still need some amount of emotion, you mm-hmm. know, but not mm-hmm. too much to you know so if you're telling the story over and over and over at some point do you lose enough of the emotion again i can't answer that because 
Um, I didn't ultimately end up speaking on the topic a lot. But as I'm coaching people and if I'm talking about things like having tenacity and burning the boat and and um, starting a business, even though it doesn't feel like the optimal time, because actually the catalyst for me starting my business over 16 years ago was getting out of that marriage. And I started it to get out of that marriage. Mm-hmm. And so I can definitely share it as illustrative of, yeah, I, I get that it's scary to start a business when it doesn't feel optimal. Um but anyway, so do you have um, tips for if someone is in, a, you know, it's a very emotionally charged thing, like how do you keep enough emotion around it so it still is authentic if you're, you know, if you're sharing it many times? Yeah, in the, the many times thing is one thing we very much want to address in that the possibility always exists that repetition by the speaker means that it's going to perhaps be feel a little stale or feel a little played out or something like that in the speaker's mind. And and that's something I want to acknowledge is very much a real thing. And there are potentially strategies we could use just to keep it fresh. But I do also want to recommend that we keep in mind that it's even if the speaker, like you have told this story many times, perhaps, let's say, there are people who've never heard it before. And the freshness comes simply from the newness of the experience on the part of the audience. And so I do believe it's not perhaps quite as much of an issue as it might feel like once somebody has gone and shared the story many times over. Now, that being said, if there's more distance from it, if it's less raw and there's therefore feels to be less emotion, there are simple strategies that one could utilize in the telling of the story just to make sure that it remains as captivating as possible, which one of those things is just simply the art of the pause, that we could just very simply and even borderline mechanically drum up the emotional significance of a story just simply by pausing at strategic points where there might be a reveal, there might be some noteworthy thing that happens that surprises you as the the person in the story and then, of course, will surprise the audience. So like I was looking around the corner and then when I finally peeked my eyes out, I saw, and then you say the thing that you saw that was made of, I don't have a thing, that saw, <laughs> but you can probably feel a little bit of anticipation. So yeah, I really wanted thing. to know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. I didn't have, I was just improving there and I didn't do the whole thing properly, but anyway, so, so that's the point though, is that you can just bring the pauses in a little more strategically and that'll get people to lean in. And it's just a simple way just to make sure that audiences stay with you. If you feel that things have gone a little stale, you could find where are the points that if I pause for half a beat, just like one or two seconds, what'll be a good place for them to lean in? And that could be through a reveal, like I said. It could be after a really heavy opening statement, which was like, I sat there on the floor bawling my eyes out and in pain. And you let that opening statement sink in for a moment before you consider continue on because you want them to have that picture in their minds, that sort of thing. Mm. I love that you're offering such just simple tweaks like you keep saying. And uh, man, the power, uh, I have not thought of the power of the pause. Yeah. Um, so tell me, what's been your biggest internal or external challenge personally that you've had to overcome in doing your work and how did you overcome it? I would say, Kirsten, that this journey of being 
a consultant and an expert and looking to influence how people show up. The biggest obstacle, like dating back to when I helped that gentleman, the, the, the speaker who got the 11 speaking gigs, back then I was barely charging any money for my stuff because pri what I haven't told you yet is prior to creating that funnel, I had so little mark marketing acumen that, and so little understanding of how to attract people to me that I had run out of opportunities and I was driving for Lyft as like moonlighting because I was running, I had done a lot of book collaboration, ghostwriting books and coaching people through writing books and that sort of thing. And the well had dried up and I didn't have any work. So I was moonlighting, driving for Lyft. And so I had almost no confidence in my value mm. at that point. And then he makes a tweak like that from a free webinar and makes almost $100,000, okay? And so what I had to really learn very gradually is that this kind of stuff has tremendously powerful outcomes. The impact is remarkable and doesn't take a lot of my time and it doesn't take a lot of effort to make over a person's presence in that way. And so I've, for, and I'm, this is a work in progress and arguably will be for some time, but just aligning my offers with the value it actually has for the people I help. And so that becomes a pretty significant obstacle for me overall. And the other thing that I, and so what I do to what I did rather to overcome that is that I just very incrementally raised my prices over the next year. It wound up going up actually pretty quickly, all things considered, but I just did it bit by bit by bit, just so that my nervous system could continually up level and integrate. Yes, this is valuable. Yes, this is valuable. Yes, this is valuable. And again, that's a work in progress. And I'm guessing several years from now, I'll be charging significantly more than I charge now, just just as a hit for people if they're looking to get me without things being too inaccessible, but it's a supply and demand thing in that regard. But it's something I'll probably struggle with for a bit more time. And it's, I imagine, something that a lot of other people struggle with as well. 100% they do. And I'm just feeling compelled to say, we should talk offline. No. <laughs> <laughs> because I can't tell you the number of times. So there are a couple of, I, I just have to, um, yeah, thank you so much for sharing about that. But yes, yeah, so many people struggle with that. And when I have people who are trying to launch into business and figure out what to charge, uh, yeah, you, you need to charge the amount that you can look someone in the eye and feel confident, but make sure that that level of confidence is authentic. And most people are undervaluing themselves like mm -hmm. you were doing and figure out a way to get some wins under your belt. Even if it's, you know, if you're just getting started, I'm not saying you cause you're already yeah. started, but you weren't yeah, charging yeah. much, but like even, you know, um, like I took on a couple clients for free back when, you know, this is over 16 years ago now, but mm -hmm. like I had to feel confident. Oh, yeah. wow, I can do this. I knew I had the innate abilities, but could I really transition it? And, and how, you know, and so I took out a couple of free clients way back then. And immediately yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, I can really do this. And so not only does that help you charge a, you know, a valid amount, but in the sales process, 
um, you need to be coming from a place of confidence and not neediness. Just like you were talking about our stories can't be about ourselves. If you, the listener, are trying to sell, and it is harder when you're selling yourself, because ultimately, if you're a consultant or coach or anything, speaker, you are selling yourself. And it's Mm -hmm. hard not to take it personally. But it's just like anything, just it's not a fit. But so, and if you are trying to build person like uh validate yourself through a win with a potential client there's also going to be pressure and they're going to feel it in that sales process because again it's about you please prove that I'm good at this by paying me instead of I know that I can help you and there is value in this and also the person who says um one if they don't feel the full freedom to say yes or no because you're confident with you know there isn't a neediness about you um it's it's like i am authentically so excited about how i can help you with this um the freedom of yes or no in that will help them say yes more easily because people pick up on the the neediness and then it's not comfortable and then there's something squidgy in the relationship, you know. So um, right. so having that confidence first um, is so, so important even in the sales process. And then, um, yeah, and then make it all about them. You know, I always say, uh, you know, you might not be a shoe person, but like I get super excited when I just find even a pair of flip flops or something and you get a really good deal and they're comfortable and they've got good arch support and they're cute. Like I actually got some a week or two ago that I'm just infatuated with. But, you know, I want to tell everyone about those because, yeah. oh, my gosh, they were a great deal and they're so comfortable and all these great things. and They're so cute. and They make my feet look cute, all that stuff. But see, I can authentically say that. Well, I need to be just as comfortable to authentically say something about me, the value I give. But again, it's not personal. It's just I'm authentically super excited and I'm fully confident I can help you. Yeah, and I I do appreciate that perspective very much, Kirsten. It is very much what has become my truth in the years since. And it's the sort of thing where if you continually get the feedback from the people who are implementing your stuff and getting the wins that they're getting as a result of your help, it actually really helps to solidify your own confidence in that. It's like, yeah, look at what these people are doing with just a little bit, like a little waving of the magic wand kind of thing. And it, it just really helps. And I also like what you said about having offered your stuff for free. That's like early on. And that's often a tip to be used when you're looking to collect testimonials. But I really like offering for free offering it for free up front in the context of what we're talking about today in that it's about helping to instill within yourself the potential of your impact and helping you to see the before and after of the people who do receive your help. So it winds up being a really solid foundation for moving forward on multiple levels. 100%. Yes, yes. So um, so tell me, how do you stay? And I did not realize like, wow, like the Lyft driver, you know, just a few yeah. years ago. So yeah. um, how did you stay motivated at that time? And how do you continue to stay motivated and moving during tough times? I have this little trick that I figured out more than a decade ago now, actually, when I was working on I was ghostwriting my first nonfiction how-to book and getting paid next to nothing for it, right? It was one of those things where I had just left my job at Penguin as an editor and I was looking just to get some kind of work. And I found that I had a very short attention span for writing 
in that I could only write for like 15 minutes or something like that or 20 minutes. And then I was just toast. And that's a fatal flaw if you're ghostwriting a book. And so I figured out that what I was really craving was just some kind of TV or movie to watch. But what would happen is I would really push myself to, to write 45 minutes or an hour, and then I'd just sit there and veg for several hours, and that wasn't good. But I changed it up, and I created what I endearingly call smoke breaks, in that I work for I would work for like 15 minutes, very like you know I would bang I, I'm a fast writer, so I'd bang something out like you know a few hundred words or something like that, in just 10 15 minutes, and then I'd watch 10 minutes of movie. And then I press pause and then I would, I'll write another few hundred words and then press pause and watch some more movie. And then I would work a full day. I, I once wrote like 9,000 words in a day just by sprinkling smoke breaks throughout the entire day. And so it's probably not the kind of tip or insight that you or anyone else would expect. But the truth is, is that if I really am not motivated to work, I just say to myself, okay, I don't need to work for eight hours. I need to work for 10 minutes and then I'll give myself a break. And usually what happens is that I get some momentum from the initial 10 or 15 minutes of work. And so I'm not really taking smoke breaks the whole time. Then I just go for it and I'm able just to get things going again. So it's just it's like, oh, I'm only 10 minutes away from relaxing. So it's not a big deal. And so constantly now I don't always do this anymore that was back then now it's just like if I'm really really not feeling like working then I'll break out the smoke break method but I have other strategies as well too but but yeah it, it just it just becomes pretty kind of this quirky way of just making it through a work day I love that I love that it's like yeah it's way easier to motor, motivate ourselves by telling us telling ourselves like yeah you just gotta gun it out I mean shoot I was just up north with my aunt in northern Michigan and uh we yeah. were doing some exercise in the water in the lake and uh she'd be like come on we're gonna do 20 seconds really hard you know yeah. <laughs> and and then we would slow up take a little break and then do another 20 seconds and it's way easier to gear up to do a quick 20 seconds to be like hey we're gonna sprint around the lake or something so yeah I love that advice that's great um yeah. So tell me, uh, as you know, we have listeners who are, you know, some are just beginning their journey of making their own impact, uh, mm -hmm. and some are a little farther along, but so what words of wisdom do you have for others who want to make their impact in the world? When unfortunately about a year and a half ago, I sadly lost my father and because I'm a public speaking guy and a messaging guy and all of that, when I eulogized him, I was going to really do the thing right. That was how I could honor him and his life. And so we're at the funeral hall and I'm telling this story. I start with this story about how when I was about 10, I went to the supermarket with my dad and he saw this big, huge vat of jelly beans. And he, he, he scoop them up, put them in a bag and weigh it by the pound kind of thing. And instead of doing any of that, he just went up and said, hey, jelly beans. And he just took a few and he ate them. And we laughed about it. I was a little mortified on one level, but on the other hand, I thought it was kind of funny. And it was a great example of how my dad really would just do things that he wanted to do rather than what he should do. Now, I had a point in sharing this, but as I was telling the story, my aunt, his sister in the front row, who was this lovely and warm embodiment of a Jewish woman from Brooklyn, and 
So I'm telling the jelly bean story in the middle of my eulogy. She just blurts out from the front row. That's the story you're going to tell. <laughs> and so I just made quick eye contact with her and I muscled through. I just told the rest of it. And what I would eventually say is that, yeah, he did things that he wanted to do rather than he, what he should do. And as a school teacher, he was a sixth grade teacher and he would get all the problem kids, the kids that other educators would label as delinquents, but he didn't want to label them as delinquents. He wanted them to be stars. And so he spent the school year treating them like stars and helped a lot of them to really turn around. And so I made that larger point that dad's life is a reminder of us doing what we want to do rather than what we should do. And by the end of the eulogy, my aunt, who had just interrupted me, was no longer incredulous over the jelly bean story. Instead, she had this kind of warm, teary smile on her face. And she called me a week later just to say how much she appreciated another perspective on her brother, whom she had known her whole life. And I, I tell that whole story, Kirsten, because the original question is, what kind of words of wisdom do I have? And that story to me just demonstrates that even though there was something awkward about what I was saying and, and inspired some incredulity on the part of my aunt, what I said didn't matter as much as what she did afterwards, which was appreciate her brother more. And so the, the, the words of wisdom I have, if we can call it that, is that the value of our message isn't based on what we say. It's based on what our audience does once we're done saying it. And so what I really want for our listeners to take away from all of this is to turn your communication into an act of service. Use it as a way to help people to live a richer life and to implement the strategies and best practices that will help them to do that. I love that. Thank you. And and thinking in terms of my message, I, I'm going to release um, and allow others to have their own experience of my message. It takes away mm -hmm. some of the pressure too. I see another... Uh, little illustration in your story too, which I loved. Mm. And that is that sometimes as you start your journey, people in our lives who have good intentions won't understand. And so they might say some things that if we listened in the moment, we might mm. feel compelled to stop. Right. But what you did is you had the tenacity to keep going. And if yeah. you hadn't, everyone would have lost their opportunity to gain from your full message. That's right. That's right. That is a lovely way to put that. And I think that might have been stirring around in my subconscious somewhere, but I had never actually put that together in my own mind. So thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for the beautiful story and all the tips that you shared today. I have thoroughly enjoyed chatting with you today. Likewise, Kirsten. This was great. Yeah. Thank you. And for those listening, if you want to connect with Neil, absolutely do that. You can find him at neilcanhelp.com. That's N-E-I-L canhelp.com. And you can find this link along with his others by going to defeatthedrama.com. Click on the podcast tab and go to episode 215. So thank you again, Neil, for all the great stories that you shared, for the work that you're doing to help others make their impact through yours. And um, man, and for sharing some great tips for uh, some budding storytellers who are listening. Well, thank you very much for having me today, Kirsten. It was great. All right. And for all of you, please get out there and make your own impact in the world. Mm -hmm.